welcome to this episode of Fridays with Fintelect. Today, my guest is Dr. Christian Connor, Professor of Policing and Security and Director ICPS and Jean Monnet, Director at the University of South Wales. Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. And at the outset, may I request you to give our listeners a quick overview of the scope of work that you're currently involved in? Right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here with you today and also to be there for your listeners that I'm, I'm, I'm very excited that they will get a little flavor of the kind of work that I'm doing. Um, as you pointed out, I'm Professor of Policing Security and I've got long-standing interest in counterterrorism. I've done a number of different uh, projects on counterterrorism. My primary focus has been uh, counterterrorism in the European Union. So for instance, very recently I developed a Jomoni network of 14 universities from 11 different countries on EU counterterrorism, where we have had a very high profile conference recently in December with a lot of very interesting people and practitioners and academics that have all joined us for the event uh, with many different events planned for the next three years. So I'll be excited and hope that some of your listeners might also be attending some of those events in the future. Um, I've done a number of different works on counterterrorism and, and Europe in particular. I've uh, written a book back in 2010 on uh, European internal security with a focus on, on counterterrorism, looking at the role the various EU institutions have played in this particular area. I'm just publishing a book in April that will come out on the EU, Turkey and counterterrorism, looking at the kind of scope for collaboration between the EU and Turkey on counterterrorism. I've also um, secured a contract and I'll be publishing a book later on this year, possibly early next year on the EU's global role in counterterrorism, how the EU has been helping other international organizations and also uh, other areas in the world in terms of developing their counterterrorism framework. So there's quite a bit of work in that area and I'll be very happy to share more with you then. Excellent. So, uh, Christian, your writings, uh, you know, make a case for global cooperation around countering terrorism. Uh, how different would you say are the challenges of various uh, geographies around terrorism? And are there any commonalities that you see in the counterterrorism approaches that various regions can employ or are employing? Yes, I think that's a very important question because of international cooperation is vital. If we look at the beginnings, of, of, of Europe just after 9-11 at the time. Um, people wouldn't Im imagine this today, but at the time in 2000 and 2001, just before 9-11, only five out of the previous 28, now 27 member countries of the European Union even defined terrorism as a crime in their criminal legislative framework. So um, now all EU countries define terrorism as a crime. So we've seen just the scope of development since 9-11. And it's very important because if we think in terms of, well, why is, is terrorism such a big problem? Of course, there's political conflicts and so on, and we know all about it. But ultimately, what we shouldn't forget is the strong links that we have between international organized crime and terrorism. And I think this is where international cooperation becomes so important because those links have existed already from the 19th century onwards. We had various alliances between various political movements and the underworld already in the 19th century. 
they can then be observed also in the 20th century terrorist movements in Germany, North America, and so on. And in recent years, this relationship, uh, academic research has uh, really looked at this relationship in more depth. And we found that uh, based on those links, we actually see quite a lot of financing of terrorism. And as a result of that, we see the existence. We see new forms of terrorism that have emerged essentially based on these kind of illicit economies. Uh, we've had a new market for violence that has developed as a result of, of these we had disappearance, of course, after you know the collapse of the Cold War between the two superpowers, United States and the Soviet Union. And of course, we had significant changes in the global economy. We had significant changes in international relations more generally. And what we had was new power centers kind of developing around the world that were taking the place sometimes of those master uh, powers to, to, to support some of those terrorist movements. And as a result of that, um, because some money was in a, in a sense fell away from, from the market for terrorists, in a way there was an increased need for some of those terrorist groups to get involved in illicit economies. And as a result of that, they've been quite successful. We see that obviously with some terrorist groups like Hezbollah, Hamas, that, that are very significantly financed by, by uh, illicit economies. We see that in, in other forms. So as a result of that, we can see that we have an internationalization of networks. We have new forms of war and violence. We have a new asymmetric nature of wars, privatization of wars, new private actors. We have increasingly failed and weak states. And there's abundance of resources around in terms of recruitment. So because we have this development of transnational organized crime, in a sense, states that want to fight these kind of networks, they need to cooperate because, as you imagine, uh, national criminal legislation ends at the border of the jurisdiction of that particular state. So if the terrorists operate across borders, then states have to operate across borders too, because otherwise they can't follow the perpetrators of those crimes. And in the end, they're vulnerable to those attacks. So as a result of that, international cooperation is vital. Without it, in a sense, the states are left vulnerable to those type of attacks. And I think that's why it's so important that we really push forward on that front. Right. So, uh, Christian, coming to the economic sanctions side, uh, how successful do you think uh, economic sanctions have been in combating terrorism and, let's say, cutting off the financing used for terrorism? Yes. I think, in general, a lot of people have been writing about how international sanctions are sometimes not so successful in terms of changing the behavior of states. But of course, what is important here is where do those, this instrument of international sanctions comes from? I mean, if we go back to, let's say, for instance, how the UN and the European Union developed some of those international sanctions in the fight against terrorism, we see that a lot of it was, uh, in a sense, uh, a path dependency from previous sanctions that were mainly with the objective of getting states to change their behavior. For instance, you know, um, apartheid South Africa and, and a number of states in, in that sense. And in that particular cause, economic sanctions haven't proven so effective. However, and that's where that big however comes, when it comes to terrorist groups, the type of sanctions that were then imposed, we see in particular after 9-11, we had 
significant development in terms of economic sanctions. The UN Security Council adopted a number of sanctions on terrorist groups, initially, of course, Al-Qaeda and, 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 and Osama bin Laden and later the Taliban and so on. And, and subsequently, as the terrorist fight went on also against uh, ISIS, Daesh and, 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 and a new kind of actors on the scene. And as a result of that, it helped significantly to drive down at least the possibility of financing. It's not possible to eradicate the sources of financing because as we know, terrorist networks are not only financed through uh, the, the, the traditional means in terms of the traditional economy, banking and, and investment and so on, but also, and I think that's something that is very, very important uh, to point out that when we have those uh, illicit economies, very often, the money is then laundered and brought into the normal economy is being invested, it's being invested in banks, it's being invested in companies and so on. And without sanctioning those, you basically uh, give away a lot of potential for financing some of those illicit economies. And that's, I, I think that's where it's really important to, to drive these activities, you may not be able to change the behavior of states, especially not important ones like Russia, but you may be able to change the behavior of individual terrorist groups. And I think that's where the sanctions have been successful. It doesn't mean that financing ends because of course there will still be illicit economies. There will still be ways of, uh, in a sense, circumventing some of those rules, but it will be so much harder, which means the scope of the finance that is available is much, much more limited. And I think that's what we are trying to achieve to, to decrease those vulnerabilities and to make it much, much harder to finance those activities. And that's where they've been successful, I think. Right, interesting. Um, Christian, coming to the, uh, you know, international standards, uh, you know, so organizations like the FATF, uh, do you think they can do more in terms of influencing policies or setting standards uh, we also know that, you know, standards uh, exist, but sometimes implementation is a problem. Uh, so yeah. what are the, your views on this? Yes, I think they've done an incredible job already in terms of developing some standards. And as we know, after 9-11, without the very important work that the FATF had already done pre previously, prior to 9-11, it would have been very difficult to, to tackle the challenges that arose because of 9-11. And in fact, the kind of sanction regimes, the, the standards that were developed after 9-11 had very much to do with the FATF and with the UN Security Council. And, but as you rightly point out, um, implementation is, is sometimes a very, very significant problem. Now, those legal standards derive an international legal obligation through the United Nations Security Council and so on, which is then in a way um, mandatory for all UN member states. But as you also know, UN is not necessarily the, the easiest platform to, to really uh, implement some of those sanctions because of course those obligations arise as a matter of international law, but some states, uh, they are happy to disregard some of those obligations as a matter of international law. And as a result of that, it becomes a lot harder to be enforced. Now, the European Union, for instance, has in its foreign policy agenda, it has pushed a number of states, whether that is in North Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, and a number of countries, to really 
make sure that those standards are adopted. And it has been part of, of European foreign policy, for instance, to, to push for that. Also, the EU itself has taken upon itself to become a model implementer of some of those standards by, um, in a sense, taking on those obligations to the organization of the European Union, implementing it in its own single market regulations and making sure that they're directly applicable to companies and also to individuals. And as a result of that, it has set an example also to other states to follow suit. Now, we know that sometimes, of course, there are costs to implementing some of those. There are sometimes economic costs. Um, some uh, are not particularly happy because it kind of erodes some business models that some countries are pursuing. Uh, it has political costs because for some regimes, for some governments, uh, these are very unpopular standards to be implementing. So it is uh, not always very easy to convince them. But I think on the whole, um, it is important to, to push for that implementation in order, in a sense, to reduce vulnerabilities. Because at the end of the day, if a large chunk of the globe is, in a sense, free from those standards, it means that there's loopholes as, as far as we can see. So the importance is to really implement them globally in order to reduce those vulnerabilities. And I think that's where, uh, where global cooperation again comes in. It's not easy, but I think it's an important task to make sure that, that they are uh, implemented. Right. So uh, Christian, uh, COVID has been upon us, I think for a little more than a year now. And you know, during this time we uh, saw uh, on the money laundering and kind of financing side, many uh, new typologies emerging. What, according to you, are some of the new areas of threat in terror financing that have emerged as a result of the pandemic? Yes, I think the importance here is, is, is if we go back to what I said at the beginning in terms of the links to the illicit economy, that of course terrorist financing is directly linked to various illicit economies. And what we have uh, in the post-COVID-19 world is the emergence of new illicit economies. So you can have a number of different um, illicit economies that have now emerged as a result of, in a sense, the, the restrictions that are down to the pandemic. We see that from uh, small things like um, uh, the, the faking of, of, of vaccine certificates to um, illicit economies in terms of medical supply. We see illicit economies in terms of uh, irregular migration and, and, and those kind of things that have also uh, occurred. So we see a, a whole range of different illicit economies that are directly linked to those restrictions and whether those restrictions are implemented. If we go back to the 1920s, right, um, when prohibition of alcohol was brought in in the United States, of course, that created illicit economies and that also provided opportunities for terrorist groups to get involved in those kind of illicit economies. And in the same way, those restrictions that are linked to the pandemic also create illicit economies around the kind of areas from uh, restrictions to freedom of movement, from restrictions in terms of what people are allowed to do, whom they're allowed to see, what they can buy, what they can't buy, and so on. And Around these, there's an emergence of uh, those illicit economies, economies that are then per perhaps and potentially linked to terrorist financing, because of course, this is still an emerging area. So we will need to see how much evidence there is around that. But we can 
just from our knowledge of, of terrorist financing already, we can tell that those illicit economies will likely then also be used in, in that kind of endeavor. Right. So if I may, uh, Christian, one last question for you, since, you know, many of our, or I would say most of our community members uh, at FinTech are from the banking and financial sector, uh, mm -hmm. what would you say are some of the things that you feel they should be doing better, uh, you know, to help in the fight against uh, terrorism? Yes, I think in terms of the banking economy, it's very, very important that people uh, you know, maybe not overly suspicious, but certainly they need to be aware of financial flows. They need to be a very thorough and, 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 and tough when it comes to identities. They need to be very tough in terms of money streams. Where does the money come from? Providing evidence that this money is, is legitimate because as you know, um, money can be washed relatively simply by investing in legitimate businesses and then taking it out of legitimate business and it makes it seem like it is um, legitimate money. So I think it's really to dig deeper into the evidence and not be satisfied with, with just a little bit of, of, of evidence, but to really um, provide a chain of evidence that money is legitimate and is, is, is fine. I think that is, and of course, in terms of identity, that is also very important. Right, Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. It was uh, indeed a pleasure having you here with us today. Thank you, thanks for having me.